Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. From Transport Topics in Washington, D.C., this is Road Signs. Here is your host, Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. In this episode, we're going to discuss the advent of electric-powered commercial vehicles. Today, this technology is still in its early days, but the first generation of electric trucks is already out on the road, hauling freight, and paving the way for broader deployment in the coming years. At the same time, market conditions are becoming increasingly favorable for electrification. Many large corporations are making commitments to reduce carbon emissions in their supply chains, and some states are targeting a gradual shift toward zero-emission trucks in the next few decades. But how quickly will the trucking industry embrace electric vehicles? And what challenges will early adopters need to overcome? To help us answer those questions, we're going to bring in a guest who is at the forefront of this emerging market for electric trucks. With that, we're excited to welcome Rakesh Anija, Head of E-Mobility at Daimler Trucks North America. Thanks for joining us, Rakesh. Thank you very much, Seth. Thanks for having me. Just four or five years ago, there was very little conversation about electric-powered commercial trucks. Now, in 2021, electric trucks increasingly look like the industry's future, or at least a very important part of it. But how do you see it, Rakesh? Are battery electric vehicles someday going to overtake diesel as the dominant propulsion system in trucking? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, Seth? We've, uh, our industry is faced with its most significant transformation ever, and so much has changed in the last few years, as you noted. So, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to, you know, speculate on volumes and how the transformation may take place. But certainly, we are convinced and we are aspiring towards a uh, tank-to-wheel, carbon-neutral vehicle offering, 100% of our portfolio by 2039. And between now and 2039, how that transformation exactly takes place is something we will have to shape along with the rest of the industry and stakeholders. But from our perspective, we see two complementary technologies today, and that's battery electric vehicles and hydrogen-powered fuel cell vehicles. And certainly the battery electric vehicles have a lot of momentum today. Uh, there are a lot of use cases and applications for that technical feasibility is there or will become available very soon, although there are certain limitations. And most notably, it's related to energy density of the batteries, which affects weight of the vehicle, the payload it can carry, as well as the range. But certainly in the near term, for certain use cases, certain applications, battery electric vehicles are a very, very promising option for this transformation. And in those cases where there are limitations related to range of the vehicle, there are opportunities certainly for hydrogen fuel cells to complement the battery electric vehicles for long haul routes where battery electric applications may not be most suited. And our perspective as always is we want to be able to offer the best technology for our valued customers for their specific applications and use cases. So we are working and developing both, certainly from a regional North American perspective, also from a global perspective, 
so that we can offer the right technology for the right use case to our customers. This certainly is quite a transformation the industry is going through. And speaking of that transformation, DTNA first introduced its heavy-duty Freightliner eCascadia and medium-duty EM2 models in 2018. Those vehicles are now available for order, with limited production scheduled to begin next year. To reach this point, though, some of your fleet customers have been running these vehicles in their real-world freight operations, and they've now logged more than half a million miles in the field. What have you learned from this co-creation process with your customers? And how will it change the final products as you begin to take orders and move closer to that production date? So fascinating journey overall in the last few years on this topic. And one of the mantras we follow at uh, Daimler Trucks North America is we start with listening and we build to solve. And this nature of this technology on the electric mobility side of things uh, with this fast change, fast paced change, was ideally suited for us to involve our customers in this co-creation process. And that was the idea behind this innovation fleet and the customer experience fleet. Uh, We have about 41 vehicles total um, running with our valued customers, over 20 customers. And collectively, we have logged uh, around 800,000 miles today. And it's been a fascinating, fascinating learning journey, certainly for us, as well as for our customers, where We have learned about topics related to overall infrastructure. As you can appreciate for battery electric vehicles, that is one key aspect besides the vehicle operation and besides the vehicle technology is overall charging infrastructure side of things. We have learned about uh, standardization needs for the industry, whether it's design of the charging plug or the charge port, for example, or the location of the charge port is another key one as well as then the overall interaction that the driver or the customer may have with the vehicle, whether it's with the the HMI or the overall vehicle performance that we can get into it as well. But to leave you with two specific examples, our customers were very um, uh, vocal and gave us excellent feedback on the location of the charge board because they obviously are the experts in how the vehicles come to the depots and what the various use cases and applications were. So they had provided us very good feedback on the charge board location. And then the second uh, example is on the uh, regeneration or recuperation of the energy. So when the vehicle is undergoing a braking event, there is opportunity to charge the batteries. And the, what level of recuperation that should be, regeneration should be, we got very, very good feedback from our drivers and value customer partners. Sure. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about some of the feedback you've received from your e-mobility customers so far, uh, as well as from their drivers? You know, what do they like about these electric trucks and what are their concerns? Yeah, I'd say I'd start with your second point first on their questions or concerns. And it's really nothing specific, I would say. It's more related to it being different or it being new. And uh, we had a team uh, from DTNA side that worked with the drivers and the customers uh, through our EV council and through several, several consulting sessions where we brought them up to speed with the changes, made the drivers comfortable with the new technology. And in general, one big thing that was to our advantage was that the vehicles are new, the technology is new, but it's really based on our well-proven Cascadia platform and the M2 platform. And our drivers, our customers are obviously very well familiar with the base vehicle, with the base HMI. So that definitely helped a lot. In terms of specific feedback, overall, I would say very, very positive. Uh, a lot of the drivers that experienced the e-vehicles certainly wanted to continue to drive it. Um, they they liked it very much. Less vibration, less noise, very quiet. Uh, you know, 
uh, other examples are also on the uh, driver retention and recruitment side of things because of the overall driving experience customers see a potential that this could be a tool uh, also from uh, attracting uh, drivers and uh, retaining them. Um, I can give a couple of other examples as well. A low center of gravity overall for the vehicle, so overall stability and maneuverability was perceived very, very favorably. Uh, torque is available right away, so that's uh, you know one advantage of the e-vehicle technology. So it's really fun to drive, and from an overall performance perspective, very favorable feedback from our drivers. As you mentioned, the eCascadia and EM2 outwardly look much like today's diesel trucks, but under the hood, electric trucks really do represent a massive change in vehicle architecture. The internal combustion engine and diesel after-treatment systems are gone entirely, uh, replaced by electric motors, EV batteries, cooling systems, and other related components. Could you speak to the development work that went into creating this very different kind of vehicle? Yeah, I would say um, the components are very different, as you noted. The technology is very different, but the fundamentals of engineering don't really change. It's taking um, components and technology, going from the initial research, advanced engineering, concept stages, bringing them to the first level of design, going through a validation process, and then subsequently iterating the design and validation iteration. So I would say the fundamentals of engineering don't change. We engage in the same robust and rigorous development process like we do for all our products. It is our intent that these trucks are good for the entire lifetime. We want to find all issues during the development process, fix them through structured problem solving, and never want to have our customers find uh, any issues. So. Examples would be, you know, engaging in um, seasonal testing, summer testing, winter testing, high altitude testing, making sure performance of these vehicles is uh, validated under those extreme configurations, engaging in uh, durability testing. So we have rough road simulation loops, for example, both from an analysis perspective as well as test perspective and going through rigorous uh, mileage uh, reliability growth type experience as well. So those fundamentals, I would say, remain the same. Of course, there, with the new technology and new product, there are always specific uh, validation tests that need to be conducted, which also our team has engaged in. I would say the last comment I want to make is, while the basic process remains the same, the pace of technology is changing so fast, right, as we just touched on earlier as well. So our development loops tend to be much shorter. And there again, I would give kudos to our uh, customers, this co-creation process that we touched on earlier, bringing the customers on board early on in the development process. This was something unique. This was something new that we did. And that really helps in managing the much shorter development cycles because of the fast pacing of technology change. The world is moving again. Penske never stopped. They've been working hard, monitoring every mile driven, every wrench turned, and every shipment delivered, giving them unique insight on managing the most challenging of demands. That includes identifying and fixing hidden stress points in supply chains before they become a problem. Visit GoPenske.com to see how Penske's practical innovation and customized solutions can help you adapt and move forward with confidence.
Are you an equipment or fleet maintenance expert interested in electric trucks? We'd like your help. Transport Topics Equipment and Maintenance Update is going through some changes, and we want to invite input from listeners like you. While the knowledge and expertise will remain the same, we're going to pull this publication out from the pages of the weekly edition and make it a standalone resource for fleet maintenance experts. So we're wondering, how can we build the best resource for you? To share your insight, complete the survey at ttn.ws forward slash equipment zero one. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the best applications for battery electric trucks. You know, at least in the near term, electric trucks will not make sense for all trucking applications because of the range limitations and higher vehicle weight. So what specific applications are you targeting with the eCascadia and the M2? And how can fleets determine whether or not electrification will be a good fit for them? Yeah, I'd say from a general point, um, you know, any operation that has a depot type of uh, um, aspect related to it, where the vehicles are coming back to the same standardized location, makes for an excellent application and use case. That's where our initial focus is on as well from an infrastructure perspective, because we can uh, equip those depot sites with appropriate charging infrastructure. We can have teams supporting it if needed, as needed. So those, some of the short-range applications, some of the drayage applications, distribution type uh, use cases, they rendered themselves extremely well. And uh, the stage of the development and the program we are in, uh, that works well because everyone, us certainly and the customers and as well as our partners on the charging side, infrastructure side, we all have been on this learning journey over the last two to three years. So that the depot type of a, a site uh, and associated application and use cases have, have worked really well for us. Next, I'd like to discuss one of the biggest question marks for the broad deployment of electric trucks, and that's the availability of charging infrastructure. The DTNA, as it happens, has just opened a heavy-duty electric truck charging site in Portland called Electric Island uh, as part of a partnership with Portland General Electric. So this is an EV charging location that's open for public use, but it's also going to serve as an innovation center to build more knowledge about charging performance. What do you hope to demonstrate and learn with this charging site? A very proud moment for, for our team. We were at that inauguration for the Electric Island, a vision that was put in place uh, several months, a couple of years back, and now seeing it come to fruition. And what a better time than the month of April when we're celebrating Earth Week and Earth Day. So historic moment, certainly, in partnership with PGE, support from the state and the city of Portland as well and the state of Oregon. And um, in this first phase, we have several charges uh, at this station. So certainly one opportunity is for anyone to be able to access it. Certainly the local residents, whether they're in the passenger cars or in the medium or heavy duty trucks or someone passing by the I-5 uh, and using this as a sort of a charging location. So certainly one aspect is for anyone and everyone to be able to use it. The second now is on the learning side of things, and that's a great opportunity certainly for us on the vehicle side, as well as in the charger side. How is the vehicle performance while charging? How does the charger performance look like? As well as a lot of good data that our partner PGE can uh, learn from it as well in terms of uh, vehicle to grid technologies and when the vehicle is charging, what does it mean from an overall energy management perspective? So a lot of learning opportunity even within this phase one, which has been complete and inaugurated. And certainly it is our intent to continue with further development. There are already good ideas for phase two 
including uh, a solar array to be equipped uh, at this site, as well as some a battery storage opportunity as well to help balance out the grid. And um, also having a learning center, an innovation center of, for the public, for our key customers to come visit the site and learn more about the overall charging infrastructure and the electric ecosystem. Yeah, it sounds like a great opportunity to learn more. You know, as you look ahead, how do you see the charging infrastructure for electric trucks evolving in the years ahead? You know, is this going to start with some key freight corridors and expand from there? Yeah, it's really great point. And I would say uh, overall, right, you can think of it as a, a three-factor multiplication equation. Uh, our CEO, Martin Dom likes to speak to it, refer to it that way in several conversations. He, he says that for e-mobility overall to be successful, right, there are three factors. It's like a multiplication equation. And each factor has to be successful, has to be non-zero. And if any one of those is zero, then overall we, we are not going to be successful. So to talk at a high level on those three factors, one is the vehicle technology, vehicle product itself. And that clearly we have the lead there. That's our responsibility as DTNA to make sure we continue to have benchmark e-mobility products. The second one is on the infrastructure side, and that's where I was going to address your question in, in a second here. Uh, that absolutely has to be uh, successful. Uh, and the third one is on the cost parity side of things, where uh, initially, at least, there is a need for incentives to have a favorable TCO, total cost of ownership for our customers. Um, and going forward, how that plays out as well with respect to energy prices, with respect to diesel prices. But overall, it has to be something with a tool, a business tool with which our customers can be successful. But coming to the infrastructure point, uh, we are certainly doing our part. Uh, we'd like to believe so at least, uh, but we need our entire partners, our entire industry to help contribute as well. And you see that happening, right? Today's Electric Island in partnership with PG and the state of Oregon. Uh, city of Portland is a very, very good example. We've been working a lot uh, with our key customers. I referred to depot charging earlier. These uh, 41 customer uh, innovation and customer experience fleets with 20 customers, several sites, that's been the focus of depot charging. But at some point, it has to grow beyond that as well from a public infrastructure perspective. The depot charging, the activity today that's good for today's use cases where we are, but then it has to grow beyond that. And that's where, again, I come back to the, the partnership aspect. We are certainly willing and able to contribute. We will do our part, but we would certainly welcome and continue to encourage uh, industry-wide coalition there, support from the federal government, state government as appropriate to make public charging uh, a success as well. There is certainly interest. We have had some initial conversations with our truck stop partners and they have uh, certainly shown interest in participating in the activity. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, apart from the question of public infrastructure, early adopters of electric trucks are generally going to need to install EV charging stations at their terminals and facilities. And that, of course, means partnering with new suppliers and utility companies. So how can OEMs like Daimler help fleet customers manage that process? Yeah, so... Excellent point, I would say. And, um, you know, with this new technology, it's not adequate only to talk about just the product itself. It's the entire ecosystem. And I'd like, again, to believe that we recognize that early. And we do have a team of folks at DTNA, our consulting team, essentially. And they have been working with our key customer partners 
uh, doing our best to, you know, inform them, educate them as best as possible. And I'll just give you maybe two easy examples where, um, you know, talking about even charges, the charges that need to be properly sized, they need to be compatible, they need to be reliable. Uh, it's, uh, if the if the charger is down, the truck is down. And we pride ourselves on having, you know, high uptime. So, so we certainly want to make sure that the overall charging experience is, is seamless. So that's where our consulting team comes in. I don't want to steal Fred's thunder, but you will hear more about our plans related to both charging as well as consulting. So stay tuned on that. And the other aspect is the rate schedules or the overall rate tariffs. They can be very complicated. And there may be some unanticipated fees available, demand fees or connection fees. I'll just give you one example. I, I understand that there is a real-time pricing in Southern California that has 24 different energy prices you can pay for, depending on what time you charge. So going through those, through a simulation analysis, helping our customers understand the impact on TCO is something that our, our consulting team can engage in. So... Charging equipment as well as uh, on the infrastructure side and consulting side, offering site analysis and optimization, layout of the uh, physical real estate, uh, coming up with preliminary construction drawings, which help our partners go for RFQs and things like that. Those are services that we are offering through our consulting team. The world is moving again. Penske never stopped. They've been working hard, monitoring every mile driven, every wrench turned, and every shipment delivered, giving them unique insight on managing the most challenging of demands. That includes identifying and fixing hidden stress points in supply chains before they become a problem. Visit GoPenske.com to see how Penske's practical innovation and customized solutions can help you adapt and move forward with confidence. Next, I'd like to talk more about vehicle maintenance, which of course is a huge factor for the success and profitability of trucking companies. And electric trucks really do offer some potential maintenance benefits by eliminating the need for diesel emission systems. But of course, they also introduce a lot of new components. Now, based on what you've seen so far, how do vehicle maintenance demands for electric trucks compare with today's diesel models? Overall, there is uh, more to be learned here at high mileages, but initial feedback and feedback through our innovation feed and customer experience feed has been very, very favorable. Um, less moving parts, certainly, as compared to conventional technologies. And it really comes down to some basic fluid changes and, you know, the basics of windshield wipers and that type of stuff only. So overall experience, current experience does suggest that advantage from a, a maintenance aspect. Uh, it has been quite reliable. As I mentioned, we have 800,000 miles worth of experience. And I would say the, some of the pain points that we have experienced, uh, which um, in, through this customer co-creation process, we were able to identify early and take steps to address them. And um, really, there are some of the challenges were in interoperability among chargers, for example, some charging events that were not successful in the first go. And that, again, highlighted that we were on the right path with this holistic ecosystem approach. We have to be able to make sure different chargers work seamlessly, uh, different software interact seamlessly with each other so that the overall uptime is, uh, is as high as, as possible. 
You know, next I'd like to move on to a crystal ball question that I can't resist asking. You know, looking ahead, what kind of trajectory do you envision for electric truck adoption in the coming years? You know, do you see it increasing gradually in parallel with the electric passenger car market? Or do you see opportunities for rapid market share growth in the years ahead? Yeah, I'd say uh, there is definitely opportunity for uh, rapid market share growth, but it's a little bit about, um, you know, us controlling our own destiny as an industry, as as a society. Um, we certainly, I don't think any one company or any one entity can do it alone, but the potential of the technology is there. Uh, as DTNA, we have certainly made uh, some bold aspirations and set a clear vision for ourselves that um, we are moving in all, we are all in towards, you know, carbon neutral products. Uh, 2039, by 2039, we have a target to offer 100% tank-to-wheel carbon-neutral vehicle products. And you could, one could say, okay, that's, you know, 20 years, uh, 20 years away, but this type of a transformation is going to take some time, but the key is the actions and the steps we take today. So we have uh, our customer fleet that we talked about quite a bit already, so I won't repeat that. Next year, we are launching our Gen 2 product uh, to late uh, next year, and that's another sort of a key milestone. But not only that, right? We already have 50 uh, electric uh, buses on the road today, our, our TBB, Thomas Bill Buses, Julie's, as we affectionately call, call the product, and they are operating in several parts of the country. From uh, Tok, Alaska, I just learned about that place not too long ago all the way to Virginia. And that coupled with the 40 uh, CX customer experience and innovation fleet that we talked about earlier is an excellent starting point today. So we know the starting point. We are there today. We know the end point. Now it's up to us, certainly as DTNA, but not only, we need the support from the rest of the industry, from our stakeholders, as well as the government to work on those three elements of the equation that I talked about earlier. Excellent products, that's clearly our task. Infrastructure, that's going to be a, a coalition, a continued coalition between OEMs and utility companies, as well as some support from the government, truck stops as well. And then the third element is cost parity. Our customers in the end have to be able to make money with these vehicles. It has to offer a TCO advantage. And the technology evolution as it's happening is going to enable that. But in the meantime, there's likely going to be some subsidies, some incentives required as well. So with those three pieces in place and these coalitions coming together, I remain very confident and optimistic that we would see rapid adoption and increased market share of e-vehicles in the next few years. You know, I'd like to follow up on one of the points you just made. You know, in addition to the coalition of industry partners that factor into this, uh, there's also a role here for government. You know, of course, there are many elected officials and government regulators that are pushing for electrification. Uh, California's Air Resources Board last year approved a regulation mandating a gradual shift toward zero emission commercial vehicles. And uh, this is also part of the conversation at the federal level, uh, looking at uh, future infrastructure investments. Uh, so just how much will the pace of electric truck adoption depend on government incentives and infrastructure investments moving forward? Yeah, I would say there's certainly a dependency, uh, at least in the initial phases. And that's true for, I would say, any technology and any transformation in the early years. And that's where we are today. There is certainly opportunity uh, and dependency that those type of incentives, those type of uh, government support can accelerate the adoption 
uh, the change to a new technology. So that's one element. The other point I want to make is also what are we doing on the conventional side, on the diesel side? I come from that world. Prior to my current role, I was responsible for diesel powertrain engineering. And, you know, as we talk about future regulations, whether it's on the greenhouse gas side as it affects diesel engines or criteria pollutants, nitric oxides, particulate matter, I think it'll really be beneficial for us as an industry, as an overall society, including our regulatory partners here, to be very, very um, mindful of what future regulatory standards we want to put in place for diesel engines. Because we are going through this transformation as OEMs, as the industry, we need to invest heavily on the new technologies. At the same time, we want to have a successful transformation from the diesel world as well. So there cannot be a situation ideally where there is too much regulatory activity on the diesel side, while in addition, we are figuring out how to transform to the new technologies as well, when the path for the new technologies uh, is also where we need to solve several questions still. So I think there is a balance on both sides, right? Incentivizing the new technology, but also being very, very uh, sort of intentional about what regulatory aspects do we want to have in place for the current technology. Well, there's no doubt that this is a very busy time for engineers uh, these days with the emergence of battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell technology, you know, of course, all the while uh, refining today's diesel engines. So it's really quite a lot to manage for vehicle manufacturers. As I mentioned earlier, it, it feels like we're living during a really interesting time of transition for commercial vehicle technology. And before I let you go, do you have any final thoughts on this journey toward electrification in the trucking industry? Firstly, I want to thank you uh, for the opportunity to have this conversation. I, I really appreciate that. I personally am uh, very excited about being part of this journey, as I know my t entire team is and uh, all of us at uh, Daniel Trucks North America. So we really appreciate this opportunity for this conversation. As far as final thoughts, it's really... I would say um, one of gratitude right now and optimism for the future. Uh, we touched on the Electric Island uh, inauguration just two to three hours back. Uh, very historic moment for us, momentous occasion, something we were building towards over the last few years coming to fruition today, representing one more milestone uh, in this overall journey. That coupled with you know our 40 trucks that I mentioned, in customers, with real customers, real operation, accumulating real miles, 800,000 miles we have accumulated already, yet another milestone. Then we talked about our 50 Julie school buses, yet another stake in the ground. And that's what excites me, right? We start connecting these dots and very soon we realize that we are quite a bit in our journey already, but still perhaps in our uh, infant years, in our teenage years, and maybe if not in our uh, infant years here. But with the topics that we talked about earlier, the infrastructure coalition, some incentives to help from a cost parity side, I remain very optimistic that we will be successful in this transformation, certainly as DTNA, but from an overall industry perspective as well. Well, it certainly has been fascinating to watch all this develop before our very eyes, and I look forward to seeing more of these vehicles out on the road in the years ahead. You know, thanks again, Rakesh, for joining the podcast and, and sharing your insights. Thanks very much for your time and opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you, Seth. Did you know you can ask Alexa to open transport topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with transport topics.
Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original questions. How quickly will the trucking industry embrace electric vehicles? And what challenges will early adopters need to overcome? As you've heard during this episode, electric trucks represent a whole new breed of commercial vehicle with their own unique characteristics and requirements. And that means it will take a coalition of different partners to successfully deploy these vehicles. First off, manufacturers won't just build the trucks, they will also provide support and consulting for their fleet customers who decide to purchase these vehicles. Trucking companies also will need to partner with suppliers of charging infrastructure and utility companies to manage their electric vehicle fleets. Federal, state, and local governments also will play an important role, not only through clean air regulations, but also by providing financial incentives for electric vehicle purchases and investments in charging stations. The pace of electric truck adoption in the coming years will depend on all of those factors. Ultimately, as this technology matures, it will need to provide a clear return on investment for fleet operators. And that's when the electric truck market will truly take off. If you've enjoyed this episode of Road Signs, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If my questions have sparked questions of your own, share them with me and the Road Signs team. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a fresh episode of Road Signs. Until then, I'm Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.